0: Hey guys, Jordan Moorhead here. Today's podcast episode is really special. We have a guest named Roya Johnson who came to the U.S. not knowing anybody with just a few dollars in her pocket and has been an extremely successful real estate investor. Listen in as she tells her story how she left her house at seven years old to help provide for her family and is now crushing it in the real estate game. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Roya Johnson on. She has an amazing story. Hey, Roya, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. How about you?
0: Doing awesome. Thank you so much for coming in. And I heard a little bit of your story. I think it was career visioning. And I said, I have to get her on the podcast. So thank you so much for coming in here today. It's a pleasure. Really quick, could you just tell us who you are and how you got to Austin I know that part of your story is just quite amazing.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, I tell people all the time about, you know, you could come from anywhere uh, in the world as long as you're a hard worker, determined, you succeed. I came from um, a very um, uh, poor family in Iran in a village. And uh, I was born in a small village and I was sent out to work at age seven because my parents couldn't afford to support us. There, was, there wasn't enough food. So in order for them to survive and help our younger brothers, um, three of us were sent to Tehran from the northern part of uh, Iran to work. We went from a 100 people population village to five million population in Tehran. And we were put in different families' houses, Not they didn't know each other. So we were kind of like each three of us in each different houses. And so I worked as a helper, you know, uh, I, mean, I couldn't do much at age seven. Uh, I think I was even maybe younger, like six, but um, that's one thing I'm going to check when I go back. But um, anyway, I, I worked there, and every month my father would come and collect some of the money to help the family. And um, from that time till I was about 15 and a half years, I had lived with six different families. Every time there was a problem or I didn't like it, my father would move me to another family. And the last three families that I live with were Jewish, very nice people, very wealthy. Some of the wealthiest people in Iran, they were investors. One of them had tons of, I mean, half of the properties in downtown probably they owned, you know, shopping centers, movie theaters and things like that. So I kind of got to watch them, what they did. They never really, one of the things I tell people That is very interesting to me. I admire Jewish people, but you have to really, they have to accept you to be part of them. You have to be almost Jewish in order to be accepted into their circle. So I never was really accepted to their circle. I just was worker there. Uh And so that part of it, I, I go back, keep thinking about that. Why didn't they help me to get education? Why? But anyway, they... But I learned a lot from them just watching them because one of them was had the biggest car dealership in Tehran. And so he brought cars from all over the United States and sold them. And um, and the other one that I lived with, they were the investor. They had a lot of properties. So I grew up at age 15 and a half. I started kind of getting really wow val- kind of feeling of wow these people are going to to uh, not the owners the owners were very very honorable but the servants and um and chauffeurs and people like that were after me to as a girl to try to kiss me hold me and do stuff like that i started getting very bad feeling that i was going to be abused so um i just Wanted to get away from that, so uh, you know I don't know what I feel like that maybe maybe I'm not very religious, but I feel like there was a God kind of watching over me because I got these messages that go do this thing, and I would go do it, and it helped me. And so I decided to just quit there and go get a job and talk with one of the owners. The um, their son was 30 year old, blind. I used to be his helper. So I asked him if he would help me to get a job. And I got a job in factory, started working eight to five, and then we'll go to school at nights. And so I didn't have any education. I was all the way to 16 years old. I did not have any kind of education. I didn't know how to read, write, alphabet, nothing. So, I started going at night school learning to read and learning the uh, Persian language alphabet. Um, um, my par- parents were Turkish, so I spoke Turkish.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I had learned Farsi, which is Persian, Iranian language. And so the schools were teaching Farsi, so you had to learn that. So I learned the alphabet and started, but I always had problems with it because, you know, I didn't learn, learn as a kid. I learned as an adult. Yeah. And so um, then I ended up, as a long story. I ended up meeting a man and he was about 68 years old. I was 16 then. And we got married. It was not an arranged marriage by my parents or anybody. It was my me and him and a couple of other people deciding that was a good thing for me to do. And so we ended up getting married, and he promised me that he would help me to get the education and hire teachers to teach me um, to be able to get my GD equivalent, you know, so I could go to college. And he and I had an agreement that he would do that. And I in six years between 19, I guess it must have been 1967 or so to 72. I learned to read, write, and also got my GD equivalent of high school degree with very good grades, just not going to school, but just having teachers to teach me. And I applied to about four universities and in the United States and I got accepted to all of them. Oh, really? Yeah. And so, um, So it was really the only reason I came to University of Texas was because one of the students from UT had stayed with us as a student. Uh, We hosted her, uh, that she had won honorary um, reward to visit the Middle East. And um, they had asked if we would host them in the school. And I agreed to do it, you know, and my husband, my ex-husband let me do it. So we um, let her stay with us for a week, you know? And so I learned a lot about UT mm-hmm. and she told me it was one of the best colleges and she was honor student herself. And so I applied at UT, Brooklyn and two other universities. Uh, one of them was, I think, Bath and University. I just chose some and those were the schools. Everybody said they were really good at schools and I got accepted on all of them. and. Decided to come to UT because of Catherine, who had stayed with me. She had told me about it. So,
0: do you still know her today?
1: It's really funny. When I came over the day I came over here, her husband that same week they had decided to move to Mexico. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And so I never got to see her or meet her or anything. It was just really. Strange because I knew I had her address and everything, and I tried to go see her and she was gone. They told me she had just moved a week before, and so we never connected.
0: Yeah. So she, if she was in Iran and then you came here and she was gone.
1: Yeah, gone. And she was there only for a week, so it wasn't we didn't stay in contact after she left. I should have done that. Stayed in contact. It's good to have that, but uh, she was from Houston. Uh, her name was Catherine Anthony. So I remember that I have a picture. Uh, And so she and I, um, I really liked her. She was not married at that time, but I heard that she got married and everything. And so anyway, that was start of my um, coming to United States. I flew to Austin um, with um, Pan American at that time and came to Austin airport and little airport in, uh, on, um, you know, 51st street.
0: Yeah where, that, is where,
1: yeah. where Mueller is. And, uh, I, um, uh, I was really actually disappointed because I was looking for a big stuff. I was looking like Las Vegas, maybe, you know, yeah. something like that, because that's what you see in movies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You see LA, Las Vegas, uh, San Francisco and places like that or New York you don't see Austin Texas yeah and so I come over here this little town looks like a village and I'm just like oh my god you know what I've done and so I get in a taxi and told the taxi to take me to I get show him that I didn't I still didn't speak very good English I spoke a little broken English so I told him to take me to gave him the letter letter said go to international office and so i told him take me to this you know and he said sure he took me and i had only two thousand dollar with me total money and so i was kind of scared um because that's all the money i had with me and i you know all, all my life i had been poor and then i married this rich man and then now i i'm on my own and i have little money yeah and so um I got in the taxi and the taxi driver flipped it and it said seven. And I thought it was saying 7,000 or something, you know, and I was yeah. like 700. I thought it was 700. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is a lot of uh, a lot to pay. I only have 2,000. By the time I get there, we'll probably be 2,000, you know, or whatever. I was it very, I just keep rather than looking at the city that I'm in, I'm looking at the meter the whole time. So he got me in front of the competition, in, in front of the international office and put me out. And so I I said, what do I have to pay you? And he said, well, $20, you know, something like that. It wasn't even that much. It was little. I don't even remember hearing 20 or whatever. I just heard it was very little. And so I handed him $100 and said, thank you. <laughs> and he was just like, you're going to give me all that? I said, Yes. And I was so excited that it wasn't all my money.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you just gave him 100 rather than 20.
1: Yeah, I was just like, I was so happy that I was only, uh, you know, 20 or 50 or whatever it was. I think it was seven. When he flipped it, that told you how much it was going to be. I didn't know. But anyway, so that was the story. And then I come to international office. I look at the door. It has something like. I couldn't really know what it meant, but it said holiday. I knew holiday means holiday, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what holiday means for like Labor Day,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so it was just like, uh, what what that mean? What is labor? <laughs> is it everybody boycotting or whatever? The door was locked and everything, and so I kind of started looking, and there was this uh, uh, guy that a student actually. Um, Came passing by, and he said, "Are you waiting something?" And I said, "I international office, you know." I showed him the letter that said I needed to go there, and he said, "Closed, closed, closed. Two days, you know." It was like apparently I came Sunday, and it was closed till like Tuesday. And I said, "What do I?" I didn't know what to do. And only thing I know in the letter also said you could stay at Adobe Center if you wanted to. And so I showed him that letter and I said, can you, what do I do? And he was very nice. He said, well, come on, I'll go get my car and take you to the Adobe Center. And so he went and got his car and went in the back of the car and took everything in. And I had three suitcases and bag. And anyway, so he took me to the Adobe Center and uh, dropped me there. I gave him a little tip. He didn't want to take it. So I tried and tried and didn't take it. And so um, I was really lucky a lot of ways because could have been anybody. He could have took me and just cut my throat and took everything I had. Sure. And, but it wasn't like that. Austin was very safe, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. I didn't know that. It was a hippie generation time, so everybody was wearing loose clothes, hair hanging, and and I was dressed all to tilt, you know, come in. And and he uh, could tell that I was, you know, not just someone walked out of the street. And so I got a room there, and then I met some Iranian students. So that kind of made it easy. Like, they were all like, oh, it's holiday. And, You just need to stay here until it opens, and then you could go to international office. So anyway, I um, stayed at Adobe and um, started my school. I had to go take a TOEFL course to pass a little bit, learn TOEFL is English to learn English to be able to be accepted. At UT for your language, you know you have to pass the TOEFL. Although you had, you have to pass the SAT, SAT and the TOEFL. Although you were accepted, you still had to pass those again. And so it was fine. I did the TOEFL and passed it. Broken English, but I knew how to do the exam and did it. And and um, and I took the test and passed it. And so I was very good in um, math. And um, when I was taking classes, um, I had several good teachers about math and algebra and all that stuff. So all that got me, not the English part, but all that got me into the UT. So anyway, I started in UT um, fall of 1972. And, uh, okay. and um, then I met my ex, my current husband, um, staying in a Jewish dormitory. I First, I went to Jester and Jester is a freshman dormitory at UT. It's the largest
2: uh,
1: dormitory, I think, in the world, probably. But it was chaos. you know. Everybody, all these young people bringing their boyfriend in, it was a mess. I, I was mature. See, I was 22. Mm. They were all 18, 17. And so I stayed there for about three months, but I couldn't stand it. So I was just like, no, this is like kids play. I want to be somewhere with mature people. So I moved into dormitory on 22nd street. Um, Again, I don't know, somehow I have this connection with Jewish people. Jewish people own the dormitory. (laughs) So I got to know them and they were very nice. That's where I met my husband. My husband was a pool man Oh, really? going to school and trying to get at UT he had finished uh, Lamar University in psychology he chalked to uh, to california and then come he chucked back to austin and he was trying to discover himself but sp- uh, smoking dope and eating beans and uh, so i met him through that couple that owned the dormitory and he was the pool man cleaning the pool for the
0: complex. Okay. So, so he was a pool boy.
1: Pool boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tall, handsome. He's um, Jerry's from Texas. And um, so um, we just kind of connected. And, and of course, so I was married then. I couldn't really do anything. And so um, that summer, I went back, summer of 73, I went back and met my ex-husband in Turkey. We used to travel. I used to travel with him to, to throughout Europe. He was very wealthy, my ex-husband. Okay. So he would take me throughout the Europe. And so I got learned a lot of stuff that you don't really get to know, but I did as a young person. And so we would meet in Istanbul every year and spend three months there traveling to Europe. And so I went back to meet him again. And so when we were there, I broke the news that I met this young man. I really liked him, and it was his and my agreement I ever felt like that. I could truly tell him, and he would help me to
0: divorce. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That must
1: have been hard. Yeah, it was. It was really, it broke my heart and broke his heart because he never thought I would do that. Mm -hmm. He thought, I'd probably go to school, finish, and go to Iran and be someone very good working for some government agency or doing something and he had a lot of goals for me and then I kind of said no I'm going for the love so um, um, I mean I I had been on my own since seven I had a lot of people approach me and all kind of stuff but I never really had a sexual relationship someone I really loved and and that was our relationship with Jerry. I mean, I just, we were in love, you know, first I, and we were, uh, he he was free spirit and I was free and all that, all those ropes were kind of taken away. Mm-hmm. And uh, it didn't really matter what I had or didn't have. I just wanted to be with someone that I really loved. So, because all my life, I didn't have that. You know, I did stuff to to make living and to be accepted, to do all that stuff. So I have a very, very strong feeling about abandonments
2: because yeah, okay. of
1: that. Yeah, because I just feel like, yeah. so anyway, so we got married in 1974. A long story of me divorcing my ex-husband. And he was kind enough to agree to divorce. And I had to get a professor from UT that spoke. Parcy was head of the foreign affairs at UT to translate it to um, English. So we could get divorced and all that stuff. So we did that and Jerry and I got married in 74. And I started, um, I graduated in 1977 in computer science, one of the first female to graduate from UT in computer science. and. Um, Then I started working, I worked for IBM for a while, then I worked for TRECOR, which they were a big defense company in Austin and they did a lot of defense work. One of the things they did, it was, um, did the navigation system for a lot of the jet fighters. And I worked on F-14 jet fighter defense system. So we did uh, like, there was an engineer and me, a software engineer, both of us worked together. He was a electrical engineering, I was a software engineer. I did the coding and he did the physical wiring and things like that. So we worked together and tested and it was kind of nice time at TRECOR. But I started kind of having funny feeling about that because I was really building stuff about war and things oh, like sure. that. And I didn't want to do that. So I asked them to transfer me the different division that I am not working with the war stuff. I'm working on other things. And then I was transferred to a smaller division. And they had a company called OSCOM. And they designed the interface peripherals for like an IBM system. You probably don't know that because you're we so young, but um in those days there was only a couple of companies making printers and the printers only would work with that computer and you couldn't hook it to other
2: computers. Really?
1: So our company OSCOM would do the interface, try to get that printer to work with all the computers. So I worked on that. So trying to, and we traveled all over the United States trying to get a computer to work with this printer and put the software in. And so that's what OSCOM, was I worked there for two, three years, I think two years. And then I decided that I wanted to go back to UT, maybe get my graduate degree. And um, and I went back to UT and started a little bit of on my graduate work. But at the same time, before I did that, I applied for a job at UT because we had to make a living. <laughs> yeah. So I got a I got a job as a computer software engineer at UT working in their main computer in the competition center. And it it was really funny because when I went to do that, I uh, went to a room like this, bigger than this, a little bigger than this. And there were seven men interviewing me, no women. And and the secretary said to me before I walked in, she said, you're going to Lion's Den. Just (laughs) be careful. When was this? This was in 1979, seven,
0: 1979. Okay. So computers were still very early.
1: Yeah. And the, the computers were like as big as this building. Yeah. That's how IBM 360 systems were, took the whole downstairs of the competition. center, so, so the room and the tapes are like, big, you know, you put the tapes in
0: and tapes, tapes. Yeah, Yeah, like
1: a movie, movie tapes. Yeah. So just like that. And so I worked at the competition center. But before I did that, they all these men had to vote and say, I'd be okay too. And there was any female. There was one lady working in another division that was female. I was a second engineer female that I hired. And so. All these men were like asking all these questions. It was like you know, but one of the things I know about me, I nothing intimidates me. Yeah. So because I went through all my life, so nothing. I mean, what can happen worse than being thrown into someone's house when you're a little seven-year-old kid? Yeah. So yeah, you you just kind of become hardened and nothing really. So I didn't have problem, you know, listening to them and. Answering any questions, and they were very nice, but very uh, picky, you know, like, oh, "Could you do this? Or, Are you okay with this?" And blah, blah, blah. but anyway, um, I left not knowing if I got the
0: job or not.
1: But they called me that I got the job. So wow,
0: that's awesome!
1: So I started working at UT. And
0: did you finish your graduate degree? and What was
1: that in? I, I computer science. I did take some courses, but I decided that I didn't really want to do that. After working there, I got very involved with the job. I liked it. Mm-hmm. And the job was very interesting. Part of my job was working with TCIP, which is the first time you could, the first time ever the emails were sent from here to Brooklyn University. Oh. And so I would communicate in terms of sending the messages back and forth and getting it. The, the internet was in its infancy. There wasn't any way of sending messages or anything. So I was working on that, and that was very interesting to me. So I got very involved wanting to do that. And the, my boss was very involved internationally with that. So he would always come back with ideas and that this is what we need to do. This is what's happening in the internet world. And uh, of course, internet was in infancy. Nothing existed. In this was in nineteen eighties.
2: Um, mm-hmm. Nothing. Early 80s. Yeah, early eighties. Yeah.
1: So there wasn't anything. Um, IBM. Uh, I mean, the Microsoft didn't come out. Nineteen eighty four. Okay. Yeah, the little computer so with the floppies.
0: DOS. Or do you...
1: DOS. Yeah,
2: okay. DOS system.
0: But and the
1: systems that we work with, it was more than a DOS. It was IBM 360,
0: which is okay. totally different. Okay, yeah. I'm not familiar. Yeah, those. It's,
1: those are like big computers. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's one in UT right now called Gray, but that's like for, uh, they do like a research for like a lot of big projects. And these were big computers for all the UT research was done through that. And then I would work with the PDP-11s, which were smaller deck computers. I mean, when I talk about small, they were like <laughs>
0: this, smaller.
1: this big, yeah. smaller. So I would do PDP-11. And PDP-11 were known a lot about doing internet stuff, communicating, starting to do stuff a little different, you know, doing more of integration and things like that. So I worked on that. And then um, um, I remember when the IBM, when uh, Microsoft came with, uh, with their computer, I bought one of them at home and uh, it was pretty expensive. And so and that's that's how I started kind of getting really involved with it. And in 19, um, uh, 80s, early 80s, we bought a house in Terrytown. Yeah. So I was, I looked, I, I have my paperwork, and I was make, making 16000 in in UT. That was a very good salary for a computer science person. <laughs> 16000 the plus the benefits. Of course, there was a lot of benefits. But anyway, I um, had my first child, and they were already, and my second child was born when I was at the, UT, and they were really supportive. You know, they let me work at home, oh, which really? was very unusual. Yeah. They let me work at home. And I would take my programming and do all the stuff and come back and bring it. And anyway, so we bought our first house, and I got very interested in real estate. Um, it was in Terrytown. It was for $59,000. It was a three-bedroom, two-bath. Uh, by the time we renovated, fixed it up, we had about 79,000 in it, you know. And and so um, we we put a deck in the back and fixed the bathrooms, and it was really nice, nice house. And a year later, I was thinking about, you know, we need maybe move to another house or something. And I had a realtor uh, come and Look at it and tell me what the price of it was, and she told me I could sell it for uh, four hundred and twenty thousand. Wow, that was just a year later. Mm-hmm. I, you know, in seventy from eighty I bought it around eighty seventy nine eighty by eighty one it had become like one hundred and twelve thousand, so we could' have made a lot of money selling it. So I thought, my God, this is kind of a neat, you know. Mm-hmm. That's maybe what i need to do i told my husband look at me i only made sixteen thousand the whole year and our house depreciated so much more yeah. that's what we should do we should buy houses and fix them you know and he was like oh i don't know and he was working at the Ut at the at the financial office financial office
0: oh so he was also working at Ut
1: yeah he was working at the uh, student financial aid you know okay. he would do the like the loans for students and things like that. So anyway, I um, um, decided that um, I'm going to go get my license in real estate. I talked with the lady who was the realtor. Her name was Bobby Bourmont, And there's a block of five houses in downtown Austin, middle of Austin. Her family grew up there. So she was a very old Austin person. And I talked with Bobby and I said, Bobby, what do you think if I came realtor? And she said, oh, yeah, you could become a realtor and do really great because you're smart. And blah, blah, blah. she was trying to tell me that she was working for JB Goodwin, I think. Sure. And so I said, uh, well, you know, um, I'm going to go get my license. If I could get it, pass it, then I'll probably do that. So I I went on took the courses and passed my exam and
0: got my license. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing. And I'd be able to help more people. Thanks guys.
1: And so now the hard decision, quit a good job with UT and start working as a, self-employee and but my husband still was working at UT so he was making some money Mm -hmm. and uh, having two kids and all that stuff it was a big decision but I decided I'm I'm pretty decisive so I decided that I wanted to do that yeah so I gave them a notice and I told my husband if I don't triple my income in a year then I'm going to go back to to it, because it has to be at least three times what I'm making in order to be beneficial. Otherwise, the expenses and all that stuff wouldn't work. The
0: taxes are different, too.
1: Yeah, taxes and your expenses, you have to support yourself. I was smart enough to figure that out, that, you know, unless I made really good money, I'd be better off working at UT. So I um, started doing it, and I went and I decided, looked at, Companies and um, there were really three companies that are very substantial: Emilia Bullock, J.B. Goodwin, and Marshall Box. Marshall Box was mainly Central Austin, Westlake, and they were really the, the the realtor. They were like the best ones. So I decided to go interview with them, and uh, when I went to interview the there were two owners, Charles Marsh and Eden Box. And Eden Box was a woman and her husband used to be Dean of College of Architecture. And so she was very well known in the community. And Charles came from a very famous family in Austin. His dad used to own the American Statesman and the Commerce Bank. So they were a really wealthy family, too. And so um, in the interview, Eden Box had told all the managers that she didn't think they should hire me. Oh, really? Because I didn't fit the mold. I had accent. I was foreigner. And uh, she didn't think that would be her big company. They never have anybody like that. They're, they're all junior league. Um, High society and I'm not like that yeah so but the manager one of the managers told me that story later and um, said you know she's go get her she will be a phenomenon she'll be good and we should hire and then the second owner Charles had said no 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 she's fine what's wrong with that we need diverse people you know so anyway they they said fine come on over and so I joined them and and uh, it was really funny. I never had done phones, you know.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: And I didn't, you know, I mean, uh, I, at UT, you, you know, you called people. I mean, the, I had to do phone duties, and I was so nervous, and I would go to phone duty. It was just like, oh, my God, if someone calls, what do I say? You know, <laughs> there wasn't any training, nothing. You know, it was just <laughs> go work jump and in. Do, jump in. And um and I remember um there was an old man that worked there, two old men, and one of them was um really sweet and he would say to me, Don't worry, just just fake it, you know, it'll happen. Yeah. You know, I was just like, oh my God, I don't know anything about properties. He would say, just learn. And so anyway, that's how I started. I would take all the phone duties. Everybody didn't want the phone duties, so I would take it. Yeah. I would just say, okay, sure. Give me the phone duties. And so I started, you know, doing a lot of business. And by um, that was in September of 1983 that I started. Mm-hmm. By December of nine, nine, uh, 1984, I was top agent for the company. Wow. Between all the offices, they had seven offices and a number one in Austin. And I had done more real estate than anybody else.
0: So do you think a large part of that is just doing the phone duty as often as you? i could? I,
1: I didn't know any better. I just did whatever it took. You yeah. know, I did hope open houses. I did phone duty. i um I bought a, a little printer at that time, and no one knew what the printer was. I shoot it out letters and send it to the neighbors and everybody yeah. would say what is that how you could print that out <laughs> then like one of the gentlemen that was very successful would do hand write, handwritten letters to everybody and i would send a thousand letters out to everybody oh, and yeah. he says oh one of my friends got one of your letters you know and they said they didn't understand why you sent them that letter and then i would yeah. say well you know I, i've sent it to the neighborhood they probably were there and yeah. So they thought I was really aggressive, and yeah. so, but I really wasn't taking their business. I was just doing what I can to do. make like I did open houses and a lot of marketing. And in nineteen seventy five uh, the uh, Texas Monthly chose me one of the top agents in Austin wow. uh, compared with someone in Houston and Dallas, so they did the article on me. And the funny thing was that they um they were like they were comparing like what kind of car I drove and what they drove and all this stuff. I had I had a Volvo and everybody had Cadillacs oh, yeah. and stuff like that. I was so different than anybody else. And here I was computer science, they were like uh home ec- uh, uh, or house housewife that didn't you know doctor's wife that was doing real estate. I was totally different out of the box. Sure. And so anyway, um, the article was really nice. That helped my business a lot. And and still people say things about it. And then um, then after that, the American statement took a took on me. And I had a neighbor living close to me, and she started getting really very interested in my life and she was like oh my god you know you're amazing you know look at you you're doing all this real estate and you just came to america not speaking english here you are and i want to do your story so she did a big article in american statesman about me and uh, i still have that article and so she came to the office took pictures of me doing the business and wanted to know what my secret what was my secret (laughs) I told them all my secret was just working. I just showed up every day and worked and worked, didn't know any better.
0: Yeah, they say half a life is just showing up.
1: Yeah. Showing
0: up, showing up to work. When was that? When they asked American statesmen to do it?
1: I think it was 95.
0: Okay. No,
1: I'm sorry. No, 85. 85.
0: Okay. Mm So you came to the U.S. in 1972. Mm-hmm. You were in computers for a while, computer mm-hmm. science for a while. And then by 85, you're getting featured in multiple magazines and newspapers as being one of the top agents in Texas. Yeah. It sounds uh-huh. like yeah. not just yes. Austin. Awesome. Yes. So that's awesome.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and you you bought your first house and saw it go up at about, well, essentially went up in value 50% a year. Yeah just mm-hmm. the, the story of Austin yeah. stuff going up crazy amounts yeah. a year or two. When did you get interested in in real estate investing? Because I know you do a little bit of real estate investing. Well,
1: you know, that uh, the buying that house that made me feel like, okay, and here's another thing was that um, the rules have changed now, but if you sold your house, another thing I learned tax-wise, you have so much advantage of owning your own house. Mm-hmm. At that time, if you sold your house and bought another house, you didn't have to pay taxes on the profit
2: mm-hmm.
1: up to certain, all the way. I mean, it wasn't limited to 250
2: Yeah.
1: So it was all, you know, as long as you invested as much on another property, you didn't need to pay
2: taxes. Really? Yeah.
1: Really? So, so what I did, I thought, oh, that's great. You know, I don't have to pay taxes. I could sell that and buy another house. So I did that. I bought a house in Cherry Lane and um in Cherry Lane, which is in Terrytown, mm-hmm. yeah, and bought this house with the house in the front and the duplex in the bar in the back. You know? Oh, really? Yeah, so it had a garage apartment and it had two units over it. And so um, you know, I was like, oh my god, we have an income from that, we have two-court garage, we have a house and this is great property and it still is in the same condition the people who bought it bought it from us they still keep it as an investment it's been there for all these years but anyway so uh it's it was 3501 cherry lane so it's a two lots and beautiful trees and it had a it had a bomb shelter.
0: A bomb shelter?
1: <laughs> yeah. In that, oh wow! Because yeah, someone had put there in old times when people were scared of war, you know, and yeah. so you could go hide there if bomb happened. So anyway, so I did that, and then um, then I got interested in a house in Woodmont, and um, uh, you know, doing real estate, I would always be interested. I, lo- I like I always like locations were the most important thing to me. Mm-hmm and where the house was, you know. So it had to be a good location. It had to be a good neighborhood. So, and I wanted to mainly West Austin. And so I found this house in Woodmont and it was a corner lot large. The house was built in 1948, I think, or earlier, but older home, a German, architect had designed and built it. So I bought that without selling that other house. And so that was, you know, like, so we rented that other house and moved to, moved to the other.
2: Okay.
1: And so I have an investment there. And um, so I just, you know, I keep doing that with different houses. And at one point, Jerry and I got very interested in maybe buying houses and renovating and doing it. And um it was it was a good business. uh in
0: 1984,
1: we bought a lot in El Craco Cove, which is one of the subdivisions of Scenic Drive. Oh. and it was a it was a sub it is a subdivision that um the Johnsons owned, President Johnson Lyndon Johnson's family owned.
2: Yeah.
1: And, um, developer had bought it and cut it to lots, and I bought one of the lots. And I sold several of the houses, lots around it, and houses around it. So I bought the, one of the lots, and it's really funny. I remember walking to the bank and saying, "I want my husband and I want to build a house there." And and they said, "Well, show us the plan." I showed them the plans and things like that, and it would have cost seven hundred fifty thousand. And in
2: the 80s? Yes. Wow.
1: It was it was 6,400 square foot house, wow. architectural design. Dick Radgaber, who's a very famous guy in Austin, he's a, he's he's been around Austin for a long time. He lived in the second cul-de-sac, and he had just built a very beautiful several million dollar house at that time. And the architect that designed this house, I hired him to design this house. I really wanted a 3,500 square foot house. We ended up at 6,400 because he keeps saying, oh, you could do this, you could do that. That's a lesson to learn. Mm -hmm. Have your plan, know what you want to build before you don't jump in building and someone talking into building something that doesn't suit. Because the the thing in the investment is you always have to have a way to be able to exit.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, strategy. And uh, if it was 3,500 square foot, we could move into it like our other houses. But at 64, it was too big for us, too expensive, all that stuff. So if something happened, I would be stuck with, do, what do I do with that house, it's huge. <laughs> and so and that's exactly what happened in, seven, in 84, the market just went down, 84, 85, the market started really hurting in Austin. And I had that house finished, but couldn't sell it. So what I had to do is sell my house on Woodmont,
0: get the money
1: and buy that other house and uh, move to
0: 6,400 square foot house. Mm -hmm. So
1: we moved there and lived there for, for about two years, till like a 70, 87. Yeah. So we lived there and, uh, the other neighbors were people like Crenshaw's and Crenshaw's mother, uh Roberta Crenshaw who donated the donated the land for the hike and bike. That's her name is there. And uh Girlings who own the healthcare, Girling Healthcare, big, big, big company. And so they were amazing neighbors, you yeah. know, and we didn't we were lost, we were like this. Young couple came from nowhere and in between all these famous people and they invite us sometime over and our kids were feel like, oh my God, mom, you know, I don't know if I fit here. So anyway, we stayed there for two years. We didn't lose money on it. We ended up selling it for what we had in it. Oh,
2: really? And got a, yeah,
1: yeah, which was really good. And then I, um, by then I had opened my own company. The company that I was working for in '85 went out of business. They took a bankruptcy. He owned Charles Marsh, who was the owner of the company by then, because Eden Box had sold it to him and left to go to Mexico. To
2: um, where is that place? All the Austin people go in Mexico, but anyway. So um, they everybody
1: goes there. It's kind of Austin of
0: not San Miguel de Allende, S- right?
1: San Miguel, yeah. San oh, Miguel. Okay. So she went to San Miguel and bought place there. And Charles owned all this land over here. The land we we're sitting on. He all owned all of this. He owned all the way from 360 to all the way to downtown Austin. He had bought it to develop it as a commercial. And some of and he had built this habitat uh, condos down down the street. He had done that. Um, I figure I helped them to sell some of those. And then he had this plan that he was going to develop some homes here, do some commercial and all that. And he had gone to bank and borrowed this huge amount of money to do this. And then of course the market failed, and the banks came after him saying that you have to get rid of well one of the things city did he had gone to city to got the zoning to change some of it to commercial city turned it down it wouldn't do it so the land value really went down and so he had to take a bankruptcy and when he took the bankruptcy he came to me I was their top agent at the office and he and I become very good friends and he said you know I'm going to shut my all the offices down and uh I really feel like you should take over this office and open. And I said, no. No, I never thought about becoming a broker. I won't just be a realtor. I'm enjoying it. No, he said, you be good at it. You're very good. You have the money. You have the funds. You're, you're always wanting to do something different. This will be good for you. So I talked with the manager for that, each office, had managers and assistant manager, secretary and all that. Mm -hmm. So I went and talked with the manager and she said, you know, I think you'd be good at it. So why don't you give it a try, you know? And So I said, what do I have to do? And he said, well, you could buy all my furniture and all my stuff, all the equipment. And then you have to agree to put all the transactions that belong to us through your company. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so I could get those commissions. And he had the stuff for another three years or two years or whatever. And I said, well, we'll do it for like six months. After six months, they have to belong to us because that way I couldn't, you know, I couldn't just be closing deals for you. you Yeah. When was this? This was in 85.
2: '85.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. So, what happened in the mid 80s?
1: It was awful, yeah. But I, I was doing great business. I never lost, I did always good. I'm, my business was amazing in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Everybody was complaining, but I made amazing money in the 80s. And uh, so, anyway, um, I took over and um, I asked several of the agents, about three agents over there, if they want to become partners. Three of them said, we like to, and I said, okay, great. Let's, I put the most of the money and we all put little money and So we joined and co- created a company called West End Properties. West End
2: Properties. Mm-hmm.
1: West End yeah. uh, Properties. So I'm, um, I've, I, as the president and the large investor, uh, took over their lease. At, on Sixth Street, they had a big building over there, Sixth Street, close to Mopac.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I took over that building, their lease, for six months to see if, you know, if it work. And so anyway, that's how I started in real estate. And our company grew up really to be larger. And we had a lot of people joining us. And uh, some people left that were in, you know, part of that group but we recruited a lot of new people and, but the owners Eden and Charles always were fighting, you know, and she wanted to have her own business. And then when that happened, she came back and opened the office on in Territown. Okay. And became really our major competitor. Oh,
2: really? Yeah.
1: But it was okay. You know, um, she, um, she did recruit some of my agents, um, Every time I had an agent that really succeeded, she would go after them. Oh. So it was really tough for a period of time. And, and, uh, but it, I had a lot of them stay with me. I ended up opening three offices. I had an office in West, Lake, West Bank Shopping Center. When the shopping center was building, originally I bought a space there. I okay. leased a the space there. Yep. Yeah, no, I leased it, not bought Okay. But anyway, at least this space there was really beautiful office. And then I did one in Great Hills shopping center. All great locations. Yeah. And then I ended up buying the building on 35th Street. Um, you know, we used to office on Terrytown and then we bought that building.
0: Okay. And you're and, still there, right? Yeah, I'm still okay, there. Yeah, I drove by it the other day. Yeah. I was going to an Italian restaurant right down the street.
1: Yeah, and yeah.
0: I drove by it so I know that
1: name. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I bought that building and then uh, the agents were like, oh, my God, you're moving us out of Perrytown!" And I said, I bet you that location will work great. You know, you all just need to do it. You know, let's do it. And we did it and they were fine. You know, as soon as they got there and I fixed the building and they were had all the parking they wanted, everything, they were like, oh, my God, this is the best location.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> It was, you know, sometimes you have to in life... Um, just do it, you know. The, um, a lot of negatives, a lot of positives. Take the po- take the positive, and put aside the negative and go for it. And yeah. don't let don't let it stop you. Because if you listen to negatives, you never get it done. Like you know, joining that company, doing all the things there, the investments I bought, I always, you know did what I wanted to do. You know, I feel like I went for my, my judgment is very good. And I listened to my judgment. Every time I have not listened to my judgment, I have not done very
2: good.
0: Okay. So when did you join Keller Williams? Cause you, you, obviously you started in real estate, you had your own real estate offices. And now you're with Keller Williams.
1: Yeah, well, um, what I did in 1999, I decided to totally close my office. Okay. And I went to all the agents and said, I'm just so burned out. There was other things going on in my life that was really hard. And so I just said I I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be running three offices. I cannot do it. Logical thing. See, there's this is the lesson. You know, if you're in that situation, I should have called Gary or Altia Osborne or someone like that said, look, I'm having this problem, will you help me? They would have jumped and took over my office. They would have made that, took three offices and ran it or whatever. But sometimes you're proud, Mm -hmm. pride prevents you from you're too proud to do things that you feel like you don't want other people to know you failed. Sure. And it was a failure for me because it was just like, I'm going to close my offices. This is a failure. I never had failed in my life. And this was the first time. And so it was very tough. And, um, but I had decided that I had enough money, enough investment and all that stuff that I wouldn't be hurt. I would have the income and all that stuff. And I was, the good part of it, I was still selling and I was doing a lot of real estate. So um, I keep doing it and on my own, but I decided to take off two years, not sell real estate. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. My older son had gotten in the college and uh, was living in Ann Arbor, studying law. He had finished UT and gone to uh, Ann Arbor to get his law degree. And um, I just shut the offices down and negotiated the, the the two of them were leased. One of them, I owned the building. I ended up leasing the building and then oh, keeping one of the spaces. I leased it to uh, two ladies for a um, clothing shop and all that oh, stuff. Cool. And so I uh, took the train and traveled all over the United States for
0: two years. On a train? Uh-huh. So like an Amtrak?
1: Yeah. And awesome. I didn't work yeah. for two years.
0: Did your husband come with no, you? No, he stayed
1: here and I just <laughs> traveled and uh, all over the uh, United States and enjoyed myself. And then when I came back, I decided, well, I'm going to be a realtor again. <laughs> so what do I do? I joined Coal Banker. Oh. And the reason I did that, I'm a creature of habit. I like known, no, not unknown. And I knew Coal Banker because some of the managers that work for the same office that I was part of were working for Coal Banker. So I had friends there. And so I called them and they were like, oh, my God, Mike, come on, you know. So, yeah. so I went to their North First office and did really great. The first year I started doing the business back to where I was. I didn't lose any of my business.
0: Well,
1: all came back.
0: So that was 2001.
1: 2000,
0: uh, 2004. 2004. Okay, sorry, my math's up
1: No, I'm sorry. Yeah, 2000, 1999. So I took three, two years. That'll be about nine, 1990 uh, 2002.
0: 2002. Yeah, remember 2002 was a tough, tough, yeah. real estate. I well, 9/11. Yeah, well, that, that all was that was stuff.
1: happening. So I came in and joined them and my business just kept going and you know, I did great. I sold several homes, big homes in Terrytown and in Pemberton Heights and and uh, they were like, "Oh my god, she's doing all this business." And so, um uh, always was respected by everybody. So that was really good. I sold, you know, in 1980s, I sold the first $1 million dollar house in Waters Edge. So, yeah. So, I mean, all those people knew me. And so, uh, anyway, that's, that's, that's what happened.
0: So 2002 jumped back in real estate after two year break, and then you went to Caldwell Banker for three years, For three years. Okay. Mm -hmm. So until 2005, 2007,
2: 2007,
0: Mm -hmm. is that five? Yeah. Five years. Okay. And then was that your Keller Williams? Then what I decided to do, I was really
1: having a hard time with the, with the cobalt banker. They, um, I'm very independent and I wanted to do my own way. You know, I wanted to keep my office. I didn't want to be in their office. They were kind of like, why don't you office at our office? No, I don't want to do that.
0: Yeah, you had a great location. Yeah,
1: I had my location. I just wanted to keep all that. I wanted to have a sign in out there that they said no you couldn't do that and all that stuff i was just having and then i uh, had this developer that wanted to develop the, um, the huge project on um 2222 now the Hyatt is doing not the hyatt but the four season is doing you know what i'm talking the big project they're doing The the condos are yeah. two million are over. over. Yeah. So there was an apartment complex that an investor from California had bought, and wanted me to help him to kind of redo that and all that stuff. And I wanted the company to help me, and they weren't like, "Well, we can do it if you if you want to do it. Uh, if you couldn't do it, then you are going to just give it to the other agents." And I said, "No, I want to be part of it because it's my business. But I want, I want the." um other agents also helped me and then i could do anyway we had disagreement i didn't like all that stuff and i thought no this is too much pushing me around yeah i don't want to do that so i um quit and i called uh quit and i called um altia osborne and i said altia you've been trying to recruit me for 25 years i'm ready yeah and she was so excited. she said, "I'm, um, come on over to my house. You know? <laughs> and so I took my husband and we went to her house and talked, and she said, "Oh, you love it over here." I said, "Well, I want to have, keep my office, I want to have my own location and then, um and all that stuff." And she said, "Oh, they they'll let you to do all that stuff. As a matter of fact, I think they're wanting to open a central Austin uh, office, and your office will be perfect, and all that stuff." so so anyway, I came in like that in 2007.
0: So they opened an office out of your office in of Terry. No,
1: they really didn't do that. That was one of the things that was, um, I've told uh, Gary and everybody else that already was really disappointing because I came in and that was the promise that they were going to open a office. They could use my office to do that. And then they ended up recruiting my competitor, which is Eden Box. She had sold her office, gone, but her agents ran it and they called it Avenue One. One, It wasn't Eden Box office anymore. It was Avenue One. And next thing I know, Keller Williams recruits all the Keller, uh, joins with the Avenue One and brings them as a central Austin office Mm -hmm. and opens office for them. And I'm not included.
2: Yeah.
1: And so that was a blow. It was just like, Oh, my God, what happened? You know, I mean, it was okay with me. I mean, I was doing my business.
2: Sure.
1: Here's the thing I tell people, the realtors, Mm -hmm. you work for a broker, be loyal to your broker. Never cheat, never do anything. Always be loyal and do the business like you would do honorable person but at the same time never be dependent on
0: your broker sure yeah you have to build your own business you have to build your own business
1: it doesn't matter what they do it's not going to affect you that much you want them to do certain thing but if they don't do it you're still okay see i'm glad that i was like that because otherwise i would be hurt But I didn't, you know, they went and opened another office. That's fine. I don't want to be part of that. They're charging more commissions anyway. I don't want to go there. You know, I'll just do my little thing and do my own game, my own office. Um, And later on, they came and said, you need to join that office. I said, no, too late. I don't want to join that office. Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: Awesome. So you, you were in Keller Williams in 2007. Uh-huh. And you've been doing some real estate investing for a while now. You your own yeah,
1: businesses. I bought them. You know, I have made a lot of good decision and a lot of bad decision. You know, I um, I tell the story to people that um, in 19, 2007 mm-hmm. I uh, when I joined Keller Williams, I uh, uh, I decided I really need to invest a lot more in real estate because mm-hmm. you know Austin was growing and I could. I have a, I had a very good feeling for Austin always, yeah. you know, I knew the market, I knew the people, I knew what's happening. I stayed involved. And so I started thinking that um, it's a good time to invest in Austin. So in 2007, I um, started looking for commercial commercial uh, properties and I found this property on uh, chohan Chokhan and Nineteenth Street. It was, uh, it was, it came on the market for two hundred eighty thousand. Two lots. Wow. Two lots strip center with um, shops in in the back and a shop in the front. And I put it under contract, got the loan for it, and I was getting ready to close. And my husband and a bunch of other people said. You understand the East Austin, everybody's shooting everybody. <laughs> yeah. You're crazy buying up anything there. You know, I'm just like, I don't know. You know, I, I mean, it's going to change. I mean, that's so close to, to UT yeah. and Austin it has to change. You know, and I see the signs of changes. That's the first time I listen to people telling me something. I usually, I mean, I listen to people, but I usually don't let it take over. Mm -hmm. I analyze it and say, which way should I go? And I make my own decision. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I decided to listen to two, three people telling me that I backed out of that deal. And I didn't buy it. And so I ended up buying a lot in East Austin on uh, Dell Valley. And uh, it's across the river from where uh, Tesla just built there. Oh,
0: really? So you own the lot still?
1: Yeah, Okay. I still have a beautiful lot. It sits and looks over. But anyway, that that property on to just give you an idea how. You know, in, in life, you always have to be your own own decision maker and go for it. Don't be afraid, you know, as long as you understand it and you do your numbers. And you know the trends. Base your base your decision on those. Don't don't just look at other people telling you what to do. And I always have had that weakness a little bit. And so you know, I back out of that deal a year later. That you remember, I had it under contract for two hundred eighty.
0: Yeah.
1: Year later, sold for a million four.
0: Wow. Wow. Year
1: later. 2008.
0: Jordan Moorhead here. Really quick, he wanted to tell you a couple other ways you can keep track of us. If you want to listen to all these podcasts and ask questions, the Moorhead team on YouTube is the best place to be. And then Austin Real Estate Investors on Meetup is a great place to keep track of all of our meetups we have going on. That's obscene. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking 280 seemed pretty cheap in the 2000s. No, everything
1: started, you know,
0: changing. Yeah,
1: the guy who was selling it, he was uh, from Afghanistan, and he wanted to go because the war was just uh, ending. Remember all that was happening, oh, yeah. and he wanted to go and maybe be be. He wanted to sell the ad, and and I saw it in one of the commercial sites, and the, I knew the agent, and so they had it on the market for two eighty. It wasn't like I was trying to steal or anything, but sure. But anyway, um, you know, I remember going to talking about investments. As a realtor, you have, you have a vision and you have a window to the investment world. No other person does if you're smart and you watch the market and keep up with the market. Mm-hmm. I remember walking to um, Wells Fargo's uh, president's office and um, in 1999 and telling him it was a good time to invest in Austin you know, in downtown Austin. And he telling me that I was crazy. Oh, really? Yeah. He told me, he said, are you, are you out of your mind? Everything is shut down. There's no businesses downtown. And you want to buy stuff in downtown. And I said, no, it's going to change. Mm-hmm. This is, there wasn't single condo in downtown. There wasn't any of that. We are talking about 1998. There was little, little, I could, I could feel the vibes that there were some investors looking into downtown Austin mm-hmm. and I could feel it and I could understand it and talking with them. I could see them coming to Austin and looking, being in real estate, I could see all that stuff. And, you know, when you do that, be part of it, go jump and do it. Yeah. Don't let other people talk you out of it. I mean, the banker telling me, bankers are the worst, you know that.
0: Oh, yeah, they're very cautious.
1: Very cautious. They are looking at the past data, not the forward. As a realtor, you're looking at the forward data. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the data you have and projecting what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And you base your knowledge on that and try to do the right thing. So you benefit or your clients benefit. But... The banker, just looking at the past data, he doesn't have any idea, he or she, that look, it's going to change. Look at the dynamic of the future. And I was able to always look at the future and see, looking at what's happening in the environment, you know, the computers, uh, you know, uh, people moving over here, the software companies moving to Austin, IBM moving, and Dale opening over here, and all that stuff, you could tell stuff is, was going to happen
2: yeah
1: and oh, so yeah. and um, um another thing was a lot of the a lot of the accounting departments accounting companies you know companies that do big accounting uh for big company, big uh big companies were moving to austin so you could tell there was a little shift there's something happening and um that's gary talks about all that stuff in his book about the shift but you know, I
2: really didn't write a book about it, but you, I could tell, you know, you could just sure. see it happening. Absolutely.
0: So you've, you've clearly done so much in your life up, up to this point, and it sounds like you have some stuff you're, you're thinking about doing here in the near future. You're talking about a book and just some ideas. You're going to go back to Iran and, and tie up some loose ends and figure out some things. So, Roya, can you tell us what's next for you and what are your your goals moving forward? Because I know you're not done.
1: Well, one of the things I really want to do, I want to travel. Okay, yeah. So um, when I was married to that uh, rich old man, he did take me all over Europe because, you know, that was one of the one of the good things about being married to him. He gave me a lot of things I didn't have. Sure. Which is education. And also edu- part of the education was he took me all over Europe, educated me about different cultures and what it's like to be uh, in Paris or in uh, Barcelona or all those places, Istanbul. He was originally from Istanbul. So I, I learned a lot of, about other cultures and I've always been very interested in that. So I want to travel. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to continue um, uh, with my office. I have uh, several renters there right now. And then I have my own office there. And I'm thinking about doing maybe um, doing my office, keeping my office, but at the same time doing some um space leasing, you know, like spaces that you could lease offices mm, like and co-working, have, co-worker, yeah. co-working space yeah. and then having my uh, secretary run it. And that way, you know, I'm doing my business, but also I have that. Another thing I want to do, do my book. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the other things I'm really very interested, um, I think I'm going to get my license in Lake Tahoe. Okay. And I'm very interested in Lake Tahoe. I've always been. I've been going there there since nineteen ninety-two. Okay. So every year I've gone there at least once. Hmm. And so um I was there this last weekend, and the properties over there are fascinating to me, and the environment is fascinating. So I'm thinking about possibly buying something there. And so buying a little house there, and then nice. maybe Doing the three months, six months there, and six months in Austin, but having license in both places. Yeah. And maybe having people helping me in both places. And my son lives in San Francisco, and they okay. come there a lot. And so, uh, there's a lot of stuff like that I'm thinking about.
0: Yeah, that'd be a great meeting point to yeah. your son if your son's in San Francisco yeah. and it gets hot here in the summer, you can go there and he can yeah. visit. So it's a
1: beautiful, pl- have you ever been there?
0: Yeah, I actually just went my first time this year. with oh. was skiing there.
1: Oh, my God. So
0: it is, yeah, it's beautiful. So you've got a book you're working on. You're going to do some more travel. Uh-huh. You might expand your business to Lake Tahoe. Yes. You know, that sounds amazing. You're not yeah. just going to have a vacation home there. Would you say, hey, why not get a license?
1: Yeah, out? I know. The, the, the lady that, uh, there's a company called Chase International, Mm -hmm. She and I used to belong, when I used to have West End Properties as a big company, she and I belonged to a state club that is a magazine that fancy um, luxury realtors belong to. And she and I belonged to that club together. And so I met her there. She has an office there. So I probably, what I'll do, just keep my license with Keller William and maybe somehow be with them. I don't know. I have to figure that out.
0: Well, I'm sure in California, you know, they probably wouldn't cross over too much.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It could be fun.
1: Yeah, so I have to figure that out.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Sure there's somebody to help. Um, and we didn't talk much about book, other than your book. Do you have a favorite business or mindset book you like to recommend to people? So I know we talked about Gary's shift. Gary Keller wrote a book called Shift.
1: Yeah, Think book. and Grow Rich is the yeah. big, best book that I could recommend to someone and it, it really, uh, for, for someone who's not thoughtful or doesn't understand the concept, it's really hard because they read it. They don't know what it means.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You have to really read it and kind of have imagination and think about what they're talking about, you know, because you read it and you go, what are, you, what, what are they thinking grow rich? What that means? What are you talking about? Yeah. You know, but if really, if you really put yourself in it and understand that it's all, all in your head. You know, it's all how you perceive everything. Yeah. And if you could perceive it, you can make it.
0: Yeah. What do you believe you? Could what do you
1: believe you could do? It's yeah. up to you. No one else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No one else. Gary couldn't do it. Um, manager couldn't do it. Don't blame anybody. They, they, they are helping you. But they're not the ones going to make you who you are. You mm-hmm. have to decide. And so that think and grow rich tells you that over and over. Yeah. And start thinking like that and you become like that.
0: I know lots of people that will rethink and grow rich every year. Uh-huh. Just to kind of refresh yeah. get given yeah. that mindset of, hey, yeah. it. it's what my mind wants to achieve. And then and I so. like
1: the seven habits. Um
0: Seven uh, habits, highly effective people.
1: Yeah, highly effective people like i i have that book and once a while i go to it because i i i get stuck in something and i think about i'm not doing something and i read parts of it and i go okay this is what i wasn't doing i missed doing this and i need to start doing that again and so um and i you know I'm, i'm i'm always very interested in um <clears throat> the small writings, you know, people write little essays, and I always like to read them because, you know, it gives you a little bit of uh, today,
2: mm-hmm.
1: mental attitude and mental setup. Yeah. And I like um, Elon Musk, and I oh, yeah. really follow him in terms of what he's doing, what he's thinking. I like his ideas about what he's thinking, you know, free thinking.
0: Yeah, he's doing a lot for the... The yeah,
2: whole
1: world. he's trying. Yeah, and I don't know if he's. We'll see if he can succeed because there's so much. See, that's the thing. If you're going, that's what I know exactly how he feels because when I was doing with my company, I felt a lot of. Uh, you know, it's like a water running this way, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of resistance, mm-hmm. and they don't yeah, let the you because they don't want you to get there, mm-hmm. and they don't even know why they're doing that, but they do it. Yeah. And if you have a conscious mind, you pay attention to that because you're so sensitive to everything and you let that stop you. And, and that's one thing that if I, if ever I could teach someone, don't let that stop you. Just look at it and say, that's just a hur- hurdle. I could overcome it. And how do I deal with that right now? But I don't have to focus on. It.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And as a person, we focus on things and let it, Take over, yeah, and that becomes a problem. Absolutely, yeah.
0: So, you know, I know people are going to want to learn more about you, and just, mm-hmm. just obviously they'll be able to read the book when the book comes out. Could you tell us the best place people can get a hold of you, or how they can learn about you or your company?
1: Well, you know, I'm, um, I'm of course I'm in Facebook. Mm-hmm. I'm in. Uh, Twitter um, okay. and places like that, you could always find me. I mean, my name is unique, so Roya, sure. if you put Roya Johnson, you'll find me and you could contact me. And my phone number is very easy.
2: 512
1: 472
0: Oh, yeah, you got a nice one.
1: <laughs> you know, that's the funny part. I have all the 1000 numbers. I have 345-1000, 1000 1, That's
0: amazing. Yeah, so hard to get. Did you do that on purpose?
1: Well, when I took over um, Charles Marsh's office, he had those numbers: one for Westlake, uh, one for Northwest, and one for Central. I took over
2: all that,
0: so and I had, kept it all that. Year, yeah, that's all this. Good, good one to keep. Mm-hmm. All right, Roy. Our most important question we asked today. I didn't didn't prepare you for this one, but what is your favorite restaurant in Austin?
1: Um. I think Fanta San Miguel probably
2: has to be classic. San Miguel. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, and for everybody listening, we will have all of these notes in the show notes, so you'll be able to get a hold of Roya at Roya Johnson. It sounds like on all social media platforms, and we will have any other information we had in here in the show notes too. Roya, thank you so much for coming on here today, and it's been a pleasure learning more about you.
1: Thank you Jordan. You're
2: a you're an amazing young man.
0: Oh, thank you so much.